This is the Westwards podcast, a fortnightly production of Westwards, the Western Sydney Literature Organisation. Western Sydney is located on the traditional lands of the Darug, Gunungurra and Tharawal nations, and we acknowledge and offer our respects to all Indigenous people and to their Elders past, present and emerging. Opinions and views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of the Westwards organisation. If you'd like to ask questions, offer feedback or simply learn more about what we do at Westwards, please visit westwards.com.au. All right, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Westwards podcast for today, July the 1st, 2022. My name is James Roy. I am your host. I am a writer. I am also program manager at Westwards. And Westwards is uh, the literature organisation for Western Sydney. We have an office that our main office is based in Parramatta, but we have uh, various uh, other places that we work out of, including down in Wedderburn near Campbelltown, and we work with LGAs right across Western Sydney. Now, Western Sydney is uh, 10% of Australia's population lives in Western Sydney, something like a hun- roughly 100 different countries are represented and 80-something languages. The largest Indigenous population uh, in suburban Australia lives in Western Sydney. And we're very proud to be part of Western Sydney and uh, part of the lives of people who want to tell stories, which is, well, pretty much all of us, I think. We're telling, telling stories is something that has been part of humankind for ever since we learnt to talk. So today we have a couple of things to share with you. We've got the news, of course, and we also have the quote of the day, and we have a reading by a writer uh, who we're excited to share with you. So let's crack on. The quote of the day today, I went looking for a quote from this particular person. Couldn't find anything apart from her actual poems because the person I'm talking about is Dorothy McKellar. Dorothy McKellar was born on this day in 1885. She was born uh, in Sydney, Point Piper. She was later on claimed by uh, Gunnada and one of the people who is our one of our regular friends at Westwards, James Knight, who's done a lot of work with us. He is from Gunnedah, and and uh, Gunnedah is in Western New South Wales, out, out the other side of uh, Tamworth. But Dorothy McKellar was born to a parliamentarian and physician, Charles McKellar, and his wife. Uh, a lot of her experience was, um, the poems were written based on the experience of being on her brother's farms near Gunnedah in the northwest of New South Wales. And she is best known for my country. My country is that poem, that poem that people talk about. When when we say Dorothy McKellar, this is the first poem people think about, with very good reason. It's the one that goes, I love a sunburned country. You know the one. I love a sunburned country, a land of sweeping plains, of ragged mountain ranges, of droughts and flooding rains. I love her far horizons. I love her jewel sea, her beauty and her terror. The wide brown land for me. But of course, that is only the second out of now. How many verses is it? Six stanzas. It was originally called Core of My Heart because a couple of the verses start with Core of My Heart and My Country. And it is a, it's kind of in a rhyming couplet, bush poetry kind of style. 
and it is oh it's had accusations over the years of being quite uh, sentimental perhaps but let's talk a little bit about the poem it's a poem about australia of course she wrote it when she was 19 she was living in in london and uh and was feeling a bit homesick rewrote it several times it then was published under the title as i said at core of my heart reprinted many times over and it had uh it's the poem that really put her on the map as a poet she saw the breaking of a drought apparently when she was uh when she was staying with one of her brothers uh, out in Gunnedah and used the poem to describe the land after the breaking of a long drought and of course one of the later verses talks about this quite specifically it says core of my heart my country her pitiless blue sky when sick at heart around us we see the cattle die but then the grey clouds gather and we can bless again the drumming of an army the steady soaking rain so she was very much about uh, the changing conditions of the Australian outback and, and rural world. Now, as I said, some people have talked about it like it's overly romanticised um, because, of course, McKellar's family were fairly wealthy and uh, socially very uh, privileged. And it was a somewhat romanticised version of the outback. Probably more akin to maybe Banjo Patterson and to Henry Lawson. Henry Lawson, of course, was about the people and the the hard life of the outback a little bit more than Patterson was. Patterson was more like McKellar in that he was from a privileged background. He was independently wealthy. He was a professional person. And I think it's those two are probably closer to each other than, than Lawson was. And the first stanza, which most people don't, really know does talk about England and the fact that the vast majority of Australians back then were of British birth or ancestry and this is what she said about her reasons for writing the poem she said not really a special reason but a friend was speaking to me about England we had both recently come back from England and she was talking about Australia and what it didn't have compared to England and I began talking about what it did have that England hadn't that you couldn't expect to know the country to have Because, of course, there are lots of wonderful things, especially in the older parts, but they're not the same. And, of course, the people who came here first, I'm not blaming them for it, but it was so different to anything they'd known. They didn't understand. So happy birthday to Dorothy McKellar. Uh, Australia's changed quite a bit since she was around. The Anglo-centricity of our storytelling and our our fiction, our literature, has started to dissipate. Many would argue it hasn't dissipated enough, and that's an argument for a different time. Certainly the uh, the settler bias has somewhat uh, been swept away, and there's a lot of work to be done. But uh, Dorothy McKellar at the time was writing what she knew, which was an Australia that was a harsh physical environment. And she uh, held an important place in the literature of this country. So happy birthday, Dorothy McKellar. Before we get on to any news items, I'd like to share a reading with you. This is a reading by Sally Piper. Sally Piper is a writer whose debut novel, Grace's Table, was shortlisted for the Queensland Premier's Literary Award in the Emerging Queensland Author category. And she was also awarded a Varuna Publishing Fellowship for her manuscript, Her second novel, The Geography of Friendship, was shortlisted by the 
Australian Book Industry Awards, the Small Publishers Adult Book of the Year category. She's had short fiction and non-fiction published in various online and print publications in Australia and the UK, and, in, and has had a prize-winning short story in an anthology, The Griffith Review, The Saturday Paper, The Sunday, The Sydney Morning Herald, Weekend Australian, and other literary magazines and journals. And so today we are going to enjoy her reading from her book, Bone Memories. Hello, my name's Sally Piper, and I'm the author of the novel Bone Memories, which was published by University of Queensland Press this month. Bone Memories is the story of a family who are in conflict about a piece of ground upon which they all live. It is the site of where a woman once lived and was murdered 16 years earlier. Uh, the story is a multi-narrative. It's told from the viewpoint of the mother of the murdered woman, Billy, and the viewpoint of Daniel, who is the murdered woman's son, and he witnessed this crime when he was a three-year-old but has no recollection of it. And the third narrator of the story is Carla, and she is Daniel's stepmother. She married Daniel's father eight years after the murder, and she needs to reconcile her place within this family, given the tragic history that it's experienced. I'm going to read firstly from the character of Billy. So Billy believes her daughter is immortalised through the soil, and she buries small pouches of her daughter's clothing in the soil and with the hope that she will live on and be immortalised through the soil. It took her hours to dig the hole. It needed to be deep, deeper than the excavators that might maul the earth. She wanted this prize to remain buried. She'd chosen an area to one side of the gate in the back fence, a spot not tramped down by foot traffic. Even though the earth was dry and unyielding to begin with, she persevered, used the heel of her shoe to rock the cutting edge of the shovel backwards and forwards, made an impact inch by inch. They might take this ground from her, but that didn't mean she couldn't leave something behind, something of Jess. This thought kept her going, and the mound of dirt beside her steadily grew. The moon gradually eased past her right shoulder to her left, remained bright enough to guide her shovel. The depth of the hole slowly increased. As she dug, Billy thought about all the living things within the rich grains that she excavated, earth that masqueraded as empty, but which she knew was a borderless home to millions, of teeming, breathing, reproducing, coexisting mass of organisms, each interacting with and advantaging another, almost like they formed a whole. It was the closest thing to eternity that Billy could think of, and she would add a piece of her girl to this eternal community, allow her to live on through its function. When the hole was deep enough, Billy lay on her stomach in front of it, reached down and carefully restored the pouch she'd made from Jess's dress, the ash, the six strands of her daughter's hair stitched inside at its bottom. She crumbled the loose earth on top of the pouch then, felt the fibrous connections of that life network being broken further, mumbled her apologies for the disturbance. She was confident, though, that soon enough it would be a life restored. Soil was like that. It knew what was good for it, just now a part of this goodness too. 
When the hole was filled, Billy lay on her back alongside it and cleaned the soil from under her nails with her teeth as the lava, lava sun poured over the horizon. The next passage I'm going to read is from the viewpoint of Daniel, the grandson. He's come home to find Billy, fairly distressed, and he's trying to comfort her. Not for the first time, he thought about how it should be his mother consoling Billy now, not him. How she would be better equipped to help, would know exactly what to say. How was he supposed to know what his grandmother needed? All he could offer was his ear. It had worked well enough so far, but there were times too when he wished someone else could step up to fill the gap in the generations, take the place of the one lost. Sometimes he wished he was a backpacker, like the ones he served drinks to four nights out of seven, that he could flee with everything he needed in a pack on his back, reinvent himself in another country, leave this whole other sorry life behind, his past kicked into the gutter, no longer snapping at his heels. For a moment he resented the bony shoulders under his arm, the annoying tickle of her hair, this misplaced empathy for plants while all around them any number of crises could be playing out. But guilt crashed through and he pressed her more firmly against him. For all her quirks and obsessions, many of which he failed to understand, his grandmother remained the closest witness to Daniel's childhood, closer even than his father. She could tell him about the day he was born, right down to the time and the weather, the day he first crawled, walked, clapped. She knew the origins of his toddler scars, the words he mangled as he learned to speak, flingo, flamingo, poon, spoon, dumple, dimple, all the things a mother would know. As the guardian of his earliest memories, Daniel would always be connected to his grandmother in unassailable ways. That was the inescapable truth of their closeness, but also his burden. The final passage I'm going to read is from the character of Carla. So she's Daniel's stepmother. She's gone up to a big fig tree which in a park near her home, which is where Jess was murdered. She's had a bad day with Billy and she's gone looking for answers and also doing a bit of soul searching about her own place within this family. She didn't go straight up to the tree, stood back from it, wanted to take in its great mass. There was no denying it was a beautiful specimen had a glorious symmetry to it. Regardless of aspect, its branches virtually mirrored the shape and reach of those on the opposing side. The peak of its crown sat dead centre over its trunk. Perfection. But this didn't seem like a thing of chance so much as something that it had worked at. That such a balance was a condition of its living. It made the awkward, messy state of being human seem all the more apparent when in the presence of its opposite. As she drew nearer, she saw the plaque, in memory of Jess, loved, then taken, and dated for 16 years ago. She sat on the ground before it, knees drawn into her chest. It was such a tiny thing, this emblem of loss. Its words sparse compared to the gravity of what it represented. Part of her wanted to prize the piece of metal off the tree, but she knew it would be like shitting on a grave, fucking in a church. This memorial, like all memorials, regardless of how she felt about it, was untouchable, sacrosanct. 
Who'd look after this rectangular slip of metal once Billy was gone? She expected it would be Daniel. A task handed down like an heirloom, a burden, never allowed to decide the terms of how he memorialised his loss. Ah, Jess. She breathed deeply, looked up at the plaque. What would you make of it all, eh? Complete strangers learning something of a short life through a Google search. In this, the plaque gave Jess a kind of notorious immortality, something Carla wouldn't want for herself. Although for a moment, she thought she understood the comfort a person might find in thinking this place was like holding on to someone they loved. Except she'd never felt love for Jess. She'd felt pity for her, sadness too, anger sometimes at the unfairness of what had happened, the injustice of it, the consequences on others. But on other days, like the one she'd just come through, or when she had to listen to a young man question his right to live a different life, then she could also feel dislike, maybe even hatred for Jess, for her enduring undeadness. But was it fair or even sane to criticise the dead? The circumstances of Jess's death meant she was above criticism, could do no wrong in the eyes of those she'd left behind. Any argument she might have caused, any harsh words she might have said, any act of unkindness, no matter how large, were all forgiven or forgotten long ago. Meanwhile, Carla had to turn up every day and be as good as, if not better than, a dead woman. That was what she hated, not Jess, the sometimes fraudulent nature of her own existence, because she wasn't always good or kind, not in thought or action. Thanks for listening. That was Sally Piper reading from her book, Bone Memories, which is available from University of Queensland Queensland Press or all good bookstores. I'd like to share some news items with you. We've got a little bit of exciting news to share. We have just recently done the final judging and proofing of the pages for publication for Living Stories Western Sydney Writing Competition. This is the second time we've run this event and uh, we are very much looking forward to the overall winner announcement and, and launch, which is going to be on July the 18th. The event's sold out now, so unfortunately you won't be able to come along if you haven't got tickets. However, you can follow the live stream of the event and go to our, our website, westwords.com.au, for all the details on that. But as one opportunity closes, another one opens up, and we have the opening of the Blacktown Merrill Creative Writing Prize and the Fisher's Ghost Writing Prize, both opening today. These are for residents of, respectively, Blacktown and Campbelltown. And the themes are, respectively, What Now for the Blacktown Prize and A Voice from the Shadows for the Fisher's Ghost Writing Prize. Pretty exciting uh, prompt, that one. Fisher's Ghost Writing Prize, A Voice from the Shadows. And Fisher's Ghost, if you need some... Uh, if you need a little bit of information about what Fisher's Ghost means, go and Google Fisher's Ghost. F-I-S-H-E-R apostrophe S, Ghost. And uh, it's all there. Quite a compelling story. So in the coming fortnight, we've got some exciting things going on. Uh, not least of all, myself and an illustrator, uh, yet to be who is yet to be finalised. But we, the plan is we are going out to Orange to work in partnership with Orange Aboriginal Lands Council to do some work with young people there and gives give them some skills to interview elders from the community and preserve their story in podcast and written and illustrated form. So that's going to be a pretty exciting uh, event. That's that's 
going to be held uh, courtesy of or thanks to Create New South Wales and Regional Youth. And we're very excited about that program. It's been a fair while in the coming and it's nearly here. So we will have a publication and we'll have something to share with you from that, no doubt. And certainly in the podcast in the future, we'll be sharing some of the recordings that we do. While we're talking about recordings, we are currently doing the core recording for the Auburn Poets and Writers. Auburn Poets and Writers did a Sydney Writers Festival session in uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And we are now in the process of recording all of those poems to put them in album form. Well, I say album. It's going to be a collection of podcasts in a show, but it'll be a bit like an album. So some of the events that are coming up, we've got the Westside Poetry Slam coming up on July the 6th. So that's next week, next Wednesday. We also on July the 28th have West Talks in conversation with Alex Sarkis about her new book. I've already mentioned the Living Stories Prize. Now, the Clubhouse Online blog, Jack Heath is our blogger as of today. We had a fantastic time with Emily Gale. So thank you, Emily, for your contribution and what you did. And now we have Jack Heath in the, in the house, as they say, in the Clubhouse. So th- welcome to Jack. So the Campbelltown Writers Masterclass, The Real Fantasy with Bonnie Wind, is coming up on the 17th of July. And that's at H.J. Uh, Daly Library, which is in Campbelltown. And this is a masterclass about fantasy, science fiction and spec fiction, and experimentation. And so there's some world building, there's some writing practice, editing, using the snowflake method to develop your story. And Bonnie Wynn is the author of an Oriala shortlisted fantasy novel, The Ninth Sorceress. And uh, she is, we're very happy to have her coming up to talk to us. Now you can find out about that by going to our, our website, westwords.com.au. What else have we got? Oh, the Westwards Varuna Emerging Writers Residency. Don't miss this. If you are a young, if you are a writer of, uh, well, anything really, fiction, non-fiction, children's, young adult, grown-ups, but you, and you identify as uh, diverse and are from Western Sydney or have a connection with Western Sydney and are at the emerging stage of your writing practice, you may be eligible to take part or to or to apply and possibly gain a place in the week of 19th September to Sunday the 25th of September, which is a week at Varuna, the National Writers House in Katoomba in the Blue Mountains. This has been a very successful program. We're very grateful to Varuna for their support and for their assistance. This is a week of mentorship and working alongside other people uh, sharing what you do with other writers and uh, and basically having fantastic writing time in one of Australia's premier writing spaces. So please go to westwords.com.au for more information. Applications close on the 5th of July, so that's not very far away. So you've got a few days, maybe over the weekend, to get your stuff together for that. So that's pretty much it for today. Thank you for your uh, your company and for listening. I'll be back in a week with another mini masterclass and with a, in a fortnight for, with another one of these News Views Interviews podcasts. But until then, as we always say, happy creating.